This podcast is brought to you by The Business Habitat, a 12-month development program for expert business leaders looking to escape the hamster wheel and grow their businesses to scale. So here's the question. In our expert professional services businesses, where the rules were written last century and the world keeps changing around us, how do we as experts who have spent years sometimes decades, getting our technical skills to the ultimate level, but proportionally little time learning the ones required to grow our businesses based on our own terms, rewrite these rules for ourselves. I'm Sam Dean, and this podcast, Business Habitat, explores the answers to these questions. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business Habitat. I'm Sam Dean, your host. I am so excited to have Margie Felhoorn today from all the way from Rhodes Island. Rhode Island. Rhode Island on the east coast of the United States. So it's good evening to you and good morning to me today. Welcome, Margie. Welcome to Australia. (laughs) Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. I first met Margie. I decided, I think I've talked about this a little bit before I jumped on a plane a couple of years ago. We're recording this in November of 2021, but I first met Margie in November of 2019 at Ali Brown's Iconic Conference. And I decided to jump on a plane just to, you know, I was really getting frustrated. I wanted to get in a room full of women who I could really talk to and, and influence. And it was quite one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. But the people I met there were just so amazing. And there were a few things I noticed. First was that everyone kind of went, how can I help? And second of all, that most people there had had, and Ali Brown herself is a coach and you had her as a coach as well. It was really cool. But what was really cool about Margie and her business partner, Jessica, is they're the first booking agencies for podcast interviews. And I had just actually started my podcast like two or three weeks earlier to this. I think the first one dropped around the time that I was actually in the thing. And I went, what does that even mean? Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit now, but what we're going to talk about with Margie today is, of course, something so passionate to me and so close to my heart, which is numbers and how they're important. And I think Margie has a lot to say on this and she takes it from a different slant. So um, let's get started, Margie. Can you tell me first a little bit about your business and then its actual story around the numbers? Yes. So... Interview Connections, we are the first and leading booking agency. So we book entrepreneurs, largely online service-based business owners, so coaches, consultants, financial professionals on podcasts so that they can get more clients and grow their personal brand consistently. So that is what we do at Interview Connections. We represent over 200 clients um, and we absolutely love our clients. They're some of the coolest, most interesting, creative people that we know, a lot of seven and eight figure entrepreneurs up to really, really cool things. So we take our role in amplifying their message and their voice very seriously. So that's what we do at Interview Connections. And when we met, um, Jess and I were just about to hit the seven figure mark for the first time in a year, which is such an exciting milestone as a business owner. Um, And now we are at that like 2.5 to 3 million probably will end at this year. And we are on the journey from seven figures to eight figures, which is is quite a journey. Yeah, we were just rumbling on this too. Just firstly on a couple of those stats is that 
only one to two percent of women-led businesses turn over more than seven figures. So I think that's a stat that needs acknowledging and changing as we go forward. It's one of my big passions uh, as well as yours. I didn't realize that back in the day I'd done that a couple of times and hadn't really thought about it. But now it's like, now that I know that stat in my new business, it's kind of like a hard one. So it's a bit weird. But let's talk about the the next journey and the numbers and how you're controlling them. First of all, everyone, I want um, everyone to understand Margie is going to get so smart in numbers in a minute and she has no formal background in accounting or anything like that. And I think I heard you on a podcast say, you know, you're not a mathematician and people kind of often say to me, oh, I'm not good at maths. Well, can I tell you, I'm not either. Like I can add, but I can use Excel, but you know, that's about it. Do you want to give me your theory on maths? Yes, I I'm so passionate about business owners knowing their numbers and watching their numbers and tracking their numbers over time and looking at those numbers and seeing the patterns. And I was surprised to see how many entrepreneurs don't do that. And I do hear a lot like, oh, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math. Like I did not shine in math in school. I was like, okay. I was like, I, but I had to work pretty hard. But this is not, it's rare that I would even do algebra, like that level of math. Most of it is purely addition, subtraction, and it's all with a calculator or I can't even use Excel. I use Google Sheets. It's like even easier. Like it couldn't be more basic. And it's, it's simple numbers, but it's so important for people to look at them. And I think that idea that you have to be good with numbers or you have to be good at math to have control of your business finances and be able to track them simply isn't true. Maybe it's true if you have a $100 million company and that's when you need like a true CFO. But when you're going to seven and even to eight, you are fully capable of managing those numbers and staying on top of those numbers yourself, no matter what your math background is. Yeah. And I think too, I think some, a lot of gap that I hear, see, and I do work obviously with finance experts primarily, but now a lot more sort of entrepreneur style experts. And even then we're talking about keeping control. We're not talking about actually doing the accounts. We're not talking about any of that and, or even the tax side of, of the accounting or anything like that where, you know, someone else I assume would prepare that and do your, your actual accounts. It's actually understanding what your numbers are doing and how they're behaving and where you need them to be. And I think a lot of people kind of go, well, I can't use zero, which is a software program, Australian software program, but for you, different ones. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about knowing your numbers. And also, actually, it was on a podcast that I was listening to you on that you said something that really shifted something in my brain of no one else is responsible for your numbers. And that includes your accountant. Yes. If you own the business, you are solely responsible for your own numbers. And you cannot avoid the numbers. I think people try to delegate it. Either they blame their accountant, like they should be telling me what's going on. Or even if you hire someone who literally should be telling you what's going on, like if you hire a remote or part-time CFO, you still as the CEO, and even if you don't act as CEO in the business that you own, if you own the business, you need to know the numbers. You need to have it reported to you or you need to be digging it to, into it yourself so that you are tracking what's actually happening in the business. And again, this isn't complicated. I truly have been winging this, but it's working, right? Like I came in in 2017 
And there was there was accounting, right? We had in QuickBooks, we had like P&Ls and reports that you could run, but nobody was really looking at them. And I didn't find balance sheets and P&Ls, although I do look at them frequently, laid out in a way that worked for me. So I started a very simple spreadsheet that was literally just like each year has a line and then each month is like a different column. And it's just money in, money out profit. Like just super, super basic. And I started that spreadsheet in 2017. I still use that spreadsheet. It has a lot more sections. Now I have each year cash and accrual numbers, but it's the same spreadsheet. And I can look in this spreadsheet. I can see what we did May 2017. And then I can see what we did May 2021, which is really fun. And we talk a lot about the importance of numbers so you don't like tank your business, and which is also really important. But it's also really important to track your numbers so that you can always see how far you've come. And that perspective that they give you is a really positive part of it. Yeah, and I think that's really important because I think we do spend a lot of time on looking at the numbers so we don't tank the business and educating people so they understand when they're in trouble. But I think that's a big part of it. We have to learn to celebrate our successes and our numbers tell us that too. They're not all doom and gloom. And I think one thing I've learned recently is to, I had a few things go on in the last three or four years to very what I would call dramatic financial impact things happen. And so I kind of got a little bit unamored by my numbers, shall we say. I fell out of love. And I woke up one day and went, oh my God, I'm not loving my numbers unconditionally. So it was like, I was really good at them. And I kind of delegated a few things away, which is odd for me, given my background and, um, you know, what I did. And I had to really do some bit of inner work actually on, on, on what that was about. But came to the point is you just need to understand your numbers and that it's energy and flow and that it's just a scorecard at the end of the day. And it needs to, as with any scorecard, celebrate and then also what's going to happen as well. Yes, there's so much emotion around numbers. And I think it's important to 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 take some of that emotion out because it is a scorecard. Your numbers are telling the story of your business. They're telling a story about what's happened in the past and you can use them to predict what's going to happen in the future, but you have control to create anything you want in the future. Your numbers are never a death sentence telling you, you know, well, this is going to be that way forever. By actually looking at the numbers and the data, actually, that's what equips you to change things if you decide you want to. But that information, that feedback from your business on its health via the numbers is so important and it's so empowering. And I think regardless of how good you are at math, I know people who are finance experts who get into trouble because they don't look at their numbers because they're they're avoiding them, right? They don't want to see what's there. There's that inner work that needs to be done. There's so much emotion around it. And that's a really important piece. I think also people make it mean that there's something wrong with them. Like people have a lot of shame around their numbers, either around what the numbers are telling them, which maybe isn't good, or the fact that they aren't looking at their numbers and they feel shame because they're like, oh, I'm bad at this or I'm getting this PL on this balance sheet and I can't read it. And one of the things I always say to my team, if they're less into spreadsheets than I am, is you're not dumb. You're not a bad person. If you can't understand this information, the question you should be asking is, how can I lay it out or have someone else lay it out in a way that I can absorb it and clearly understand what's going on? And as soon as you do that, 
instead of making yourself a bad person or stupid for not you know, knowing when you ask yourself that question, then suddenly you're like, oh, okay, actually. And then people who quote unquote, aren't good with data and numbers suddenly are able to lay things out and see things clearly and strategize based on them. I mean, everybody just go back, listen to that again. (laughs) You're right on it. And, And I have certainly been on that journey too. I mean, I've got a lot of trauma around it. I mean, I've had people one of my business partners yell at me and saying, how, how do you need to draw cash out of this business? Because, you know, you're an accountant. How can you possibly short, be short of cash when I was actually building another business? Things like that, which are quite traumatic, even though that I look back on it and he's just a moron. But you still, you hold that in yourself as well. And I think for finance experts, it's exactly like that. Like even when I was, wasn't looking at my numbers and I was avoiding them, I knew what was going on. <laughs> But yeah. was like, okay. And as soon as you kind of do that, it's like anything you do with intention, it, it changes the shift. And I think numbers are so important. And also I think too that they can be so empowering because they do prove things as yeah. well. So while they might give you bad news, they can give you some amazing news as well. And as you said, the comparison between 17 and 19 to 21 must be really empowering to see that you know, in a very finite thing, not adjusted for any tax stuff, not adjusted for anything in your own words, it was telling you the story and or your own numbers in this case, as opposed to words. So Margie, you kind of hinted at it before. So you hit the sevens when I met you 2019. And now I know your big goal is to hit the eight figures. Talk to me about that journey, because I also find that and there's been a lot of research done in this, some great books, um, Bern Harmish talks about it when sort of people hit that 2 million mark. I, we talk about it a lot. You know, 95% of businesses in Australia turn less than two, only 8% turn more than eight. And so 8% of that new 5% then shift out. So very small amount. What's interesting when Vern Harmish first wrote his book and Jim Collins has done some work on this as well. It was back in the, like the early 2000s and the 1990s, yet still the 2 million figure to 10 million figure stays, even though the, and it doesn't matter if you're in Australia, whether 2 million means a lot different than um, America, where, you know, you're 2 million higher in value than ours. So talk to me because you're in that journey. (laughs) What are you finding challenging there? It's so challenging. Um, (laughs) The, the whole like 2 million and then two to 10, it's just very different. I, I think getting to seven figures was done very much on instinct and, it just kind of like going for it and winging it a lot. We didn't have to have perfect systems. Like there there was a lot that was very imperfect, but the service was great. And once I started setting goals and having number-based metrics of like, this is what we're going for, we could break that month goal into weeks, into days. And it was very easy to hit those goals. So, you know, we restructured some packages. We made, you know, created larger packages, not only because it served our clients better, but because obviously the higher ticket you are, the easier it is to hit those goals. So all of that, you know, just flowed very naturally. It it felt pretty effortless to hit seven. I mean, at the time, I probably wouldn't have said it was effortless, but now I'm comparing it to where I am now. And I'm like, those were the days. But (laughs) the thing about 2 million I think there's there's like a tactical part of it and then there's an energetic part of it mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And and those have been and then there's a leadership part. So the tactical part is that your systems and the softwares that you use all that stuff 
has to change because so much of it is not really made to scale to 10 and beyond. So there's all that, right? Payment processors, systems, software is changing over all of that stuff, which is a headache to put it really gently. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's, you know, the energy aspect of it. And this seems fluffy, but it's really not. Because you can have a lot of like the strategies and tactics and everything in line and it's just not happening. And I think that's really when you have to look at the energetic aspect of, first of all, like, is there fear around getting like, quote unquote, that big, like going to 10 million? And then energetically for me, there was also stuff in the business that just wasn't quite working. It didn't feel quite aligned with me. And I think I was subconsciously kind of sabotaging our growth because part of me knew that if I scaled this business to 10 million, I'd be scaling the issues I hadn't dealt with even bigger, which would make them worse to deal with. And then the leadership piece is I really had to be a different type of CEO to get to 10 million. Like, I'm glad I didn't grow to 10 million this year, even though I really wanted to, because I see now the ways that I was immature as a leader, and I don't think it would have gone super well. Um, And it's really been through this journey of going for 10 million this year and not hitting it. We're going to end at like three, but I have grown so much and matured so much as a leader that again, that energy part that I feel ready to actually go for it and not hold back. And now I'm dealing with those little things in the business that part of me didn't want to grow bigger. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think that's so many. Can I just note too, when Margie, Margie says that she's maturing and everything, can you tell us how old you are? <laughs> I'm 33. <laughs> but, so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think I'm talking maturity and leadership experience, not in like years on earth. Because, and I'll be very transparent about where I went wrong. I was so goal oriented. I was so focused on myself and my goals for the business, for my finances. And you cannot get to 10 that way. You you cannot just care about yourself and your own goals. It's hard to admit that. But I feel learning that lesson, I felt like Scrooge waking up on Christmas morning after the ghost visit him. He's like, it, but it felt like that type of epiphany. Yeah. Cause, and it's not like I was like this monster of a boss, like driving people super hard long. It wasn't like that. It was more an energetic thing. But my focus was so much on myself. And I wanted the business to hit these goals because I wanted them and I didn't really care if the whole team wanted as much as me as long as I was like driving it and they were willing to go for it and I've really realized that I care a lot about my team having a great life and a great experience too and as much as I tried to just focus on this blind ambition it was out of alignment. There were team members who had jobs that were boring jobs. They were they were repetitive. It was stuff I would never want to do. And I had coach after coach tell me, well, they're not you. They're not the business owner. Like, it's okay that they have boring jobs because, like, they like boring jobs. And, like, you're the CEO, so you get to be creative. And I really couldn't. Are you serious people said that to you? That's, that's how you scale a business is to empower 
Yeah, not in so many words. And we work with excellent coaches. Yes, you do. And they were only getting my side of the story. I really want to <laughs> be clear about that. And, and no, not in so many words. That's not exactly what they were saying. But there was this attitude of like, you know, don't hold back. Like you can do it. Go for 10 million. And me being like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know if these people are having fun. And this idea of like, well, what's fun for you isn't what's fun for everybody. It was more like that. They weren't. They weren't being monsters, but it was this idea of like, well, just because you want that doesn't mean they want that. And then it was like, I think everybody wants that, you know, like. And so I'm restructuring everything. I'm changing the roles. They're now going to work in teams. It's going to be a lot more dynamic. There's going to be a lot more flexibility in roles so that people can creatively problem solve and do different things every day. And that's a big risk to be taking. But I realized that I couldn't go for 10 million and be out of alignment with having roles in the company that I wouldn't want to do. And so that's what we're doing now. And it's very exciting. So that was a big step for me. And I truly believe that had to happen before we could get to that size. Oh, yeah. So we um, one of my I think my real focus is that exactly that alignment when the leader is out of alignment. And you need to, the leader actually needs to fix your alignment first and then bring, it's not lining everyone up with your vision. It's, you need to be in alignment. And if you're feeling everything's out of alignment, you keep getting knocked off and there's no way you can do that. And then it just burns you out. And then 10 million would just honestly look, feel fatiguing at that point. Yeah. And it was, the focus couldn't just be my vision. And that was a hard pill to swallow because getting to seven figures, it was abs- like it could be my vision. But but there's just there's a ceiling on how far you can get. And it, when it's just your vision and you ha- it has to be other people's vision, you have to get more flexible. And that that's been a great lesson. Oh, man. So because I always think because I do a lot of research in, in that two million mark as to why. And I think a lot of people I always think it's um. Well, it is. I think that is one of the reasons why it stays at two, no matter what kind of two's worth these days or what currency you're in. It's the vision that I that just had a bit of heart. It's actually the vision of the owner can sustain to that. Yeah. Whereas then it has to become the vision of the business and that's all of the human energy in it. Yes. And that's probably one of the, yes, the systems, processes and everything come very transactional, very actionable, very intentional. And we tend to concentrate on that but if we don't concentrate on that alignment so you were aligning to your vision but then you realized that what you were doing wasn't actually aligning to you because not everyone else was having fun or your perception of fun yeah that that does actually it's a bit of an aha there as to why that there's a tech two million there is a block like you can see it in every business we see it yeah all the time no matter what style of business it is it, it blocks at the two million and you know i I kind of jumped over that. So I did get a business, a tree services business to a million. And then I went back into an accounting practice, which was already at over 10 figures, but sorry, over eight and around that sort of 10 to 15 mark. But then it was five or six different small businesses. When you get into those professional services businesses, you really look at them. They're actually small amounts of one $1 million turnover businesses, not a $10 million business. So I kind of thought, nah, 10 million is easy. But then I look at it and go, no, that wasn't a $10 million business. That was a um, five or six individual, one and a half to two. And that's because the vision was different for every leader. 
So you just, and yes, you're all under the same roof. It's an interesting mark, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I, I think that's such a great thing to touch on. I really do think that probably is what it is because there's one person's vision or even a small group of people at the top driving and a small group of people or one person's vision can get to two. But after that, it needs to be company-wide. It needs, and it's scary. I think a lot of leaders would rather go out of business than give up that level of control. Yeah, because that's not, that's not just controlling. Like we always go, well, you know, we, we think it's because it's controlling the supplier relationship, the team relationship and all that. That's actually reasonably easy to give up. But giving up your vision, that's a whole, that's, whew, that's, that's a big thing too. And I don't think we ever look at it that way because it, that's very internal and we don't tend to do that. Oh, I yeah. think we might have stumbled across something here. <laughs> so let's get a little practical. How did you, obviously, Queen of Spreadsheets, well, Google Sheets, not spreadsheets. Yeah, not even spreadsheets. <laughs> I, Google, I can't use Google Sheets. I feel that they're maybe that it is the like I just because it looks different. I think because I've been brought up in Excel. I love Excel because you can either just do a simple calculation, or if you really want to get, you know, you can do a whole lot of stuff which I can't do. But yeah, but let's just talk about your spreadsheets. How did you? How did you then look at that from a more practical implementation point of view? So from the organizational chart and then costing that and stuff. I think you have a really interesting way that you did that. Can you talk us through that? Yes. So this is, again, like totally making it up as I go and winging it. But I think this is a good lesson of like trust yourself when you're making stuff up as you go along because I can't believe I'm talking to like a financial expert and saying this stuff. <laughs> I have a little bit of imposter syndrome because I'm like, all right, I have no training at all, but I'll tell you what I did. Um, but it but it does work. And I think that's like the entrepreneurial journey is a lot of figuring stuff out and, and specifically figuring out what works for you. Because there's a lot of way more advanced financial stuff you can do, but I wouldn't understand how to do it. So I, again, had to figure out how do I lay this information out in a way that I can absorb it. And that's the that's the question people should be asking themselves when it comes to understanding data and getting that clarity. Because strategy is 10% of it. Clarity is 90%. Once you lay it out and you can see what's going on, you don't have to be very smart to understand what to do next. But it's the clarity and the laying it out where people get stuck. So... With org charts, I had a big breakthrough with org charts. So we were working with a coach, Kelly Roach, who is awesome, and she's very focused on org charts. And she was always like, make an org chart, make an org chart. And I was always kind of like, eh, I, I maybe like do some like sad little circles on a thing. <laughs> but but I, all those. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't really, because it takes a lot of time to actually make a, a future org chart. So not just an org chart of where we are, which I keep to my right on a whiteboard all the mm -hmm. time and I keep it updated. But also like, what is the org chart? So, okay, you want to grow to 10 million. What does the org chart at 10 million look like? And that was a helpful exercise when I finally just embraced it and actually gave it the time and thought that it took, which was a lot. <laughs> like you, you should give yourself a lot of time for that if you've never grown to that size to sort of like figure it out and play around with it. I recommend a whiteboard so you can easily erase and move stuff. So I finally did it. I made a $10 million org chart and then I made a $5 million org chart because I realized that there were so many changes going from two to 10 that I needed an, a, an intermediary step at five to yeah. understand specifically when leaders are coming up. Because at 10, there were so many different leaders like leading all the pods and managers 
But when do those leaders come in? And that's an important thing to to realize in advance so you don't overpromote or overhire high-end people that are going to be really expensive before you actually need them. If they don't have a lot of direct reports, they don't have to be these like super senior, highly paid leaders necessarily. So the other thing I did, so I did the org chart and then I realized that I had no idea how much this would cost. Like I'm looking at this org chart for 10 million and for all I know, this org chart costs 10 million. So I'm like, okay, let's figure that out. So I just listed it out on a simple spreadsheet that each, you know, the title, the job title, how many of them there are. So like one, two, for some, it was like there's 16 people doing this job or 20. Some it's just one, right, for certain high level positions. And then I put in, you know, the estimated base pay. And then I just had a formula that was multiplying the base pay by the number of people I had doing that and then totaling it all. So I could actually see, okay, what's this going to cost? And then I had another thing that multiplied that whole thing by, I think, 1.5 to just like a Account for some of the fees and taxes and stuff like that. Then I looked at, okay, so this is how much commission we give out. So if we gave out the most commission possible, how much would that be? And so did that with like bonuses and commissions. And then I was able to see, I was actually able to see like, this is a terrible idea. So I, <laughs> I was like, this isn't going to work at all. But I was able to see that before we actually started hiring into that because that would have been a disaster. And so I was able to see that and I was able to move some things around. I was able to lean, lean stuff out. And then I did the same spreadsheet for the $5 million org chart and again saw some disasters because what looked really cute in the little bubbles on the whiteboard like yeah that's my business we're gonna crush it ended up being more expensive than it needed to be or could be and so again I was able to look at like okay you know I know I want no more than five direct reports per person but like where do I really need leaders where do I not need leaders where are roles combined and leaning it out that way so that I actually had a five million and a ten million dollar org chart that not only looked nice but I I could guesstimate how much it was going to cost oh man see you know it's interesting you said the finance that's what when you, I actually heard um, Margie say something uh, similar on a different podcast and, you know, we have two programs. Um, so we have, you know, Love Your Numbers um, and then the org chart, we have the engaged and the, so the aligned leader. So we build something around that. Um, it's like kind of like a position description, but very internal for a leader. And then we do that for the team. And then we build the org chart for the future when though, where that team wants to be. And then there was no connection between the thing. And when I heard that, we've now gone and connected it because I think as experts we need to all listen to other experts and their way of looking at things as well so we can actually bring it all into the habitat so um you know as a as a finance kind of accounting expert um the way I look at numbers is very different from most accountants I kind of see it as a 3d 4d kind of thing and freak people out of it but um I saw that and I just went, oh, my God, that's magic. And that's why I just had to have you on my podcast because I think there was so much learning there. I think we do all of the strategic planning, but unless you can, so we do strategic planning, unless you can then do the org chart caps plus also um, what does that strategic plan look like, even in a PL and balance sheet as well. Yeah. And um, do I want that? Like, I mean, some people have looked at the org chart stuff and gone, I don't actually want to, 
be in charge of that many people. Um, and some people like yourself will go, yeah, that, that that's really cool. But, and it's like, when you actually see it like that, you can say, I actually don't know if I need to do that. Some, you know, some people do say, I don't need um, to do that. You and me, of course, look at it differently and go, well, yeah, we need to do that. But I love that you learned your mistakes before you made them. <laughs> yes. And we don't often get a chance to do that as entrepreneurs. We're making a lot of mistakes in real time. So that was, it was fun to make an expensive mistake hypothetically and not actually pay for it. <laughs> that was a fun change. That was a fun change. And because too, so often we throw people at the problem. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So before, before you throw people at the problem, cost it out. Yes. Cost it um, out understand your numbers. And and that's, again, with the abdicating kind of full circle, not abdicating responsibility for your numbers. Because when you throw people at problems and over hire for whatever it is, and then end up in a bad situation, it's really your job to understand. First of all, if you look at your numbers, you know where you need to bring in experts to help you or yeah. team to help you and where yes. you don't. And also price it out so that you don't over hire because it's a shame to hire amazing people and have to let them go or energetically be not a good leader because they feel like a burden because you set yourself up for failure. Oh man, so many learnings in that. And yes, I've done all of that. <laughs> and I can tell you, spend the time costing it out and making the mistakes on paper because I tell you when you have to sit there and you have to tell people, good people, that it's time to go or it's a really hard conversations and the pain, the energetic burden of that is, is too high. Or even if you keep them going, then it's the, oh, I'm just working to pay you thing you know, going on as well. And I think we can all learn from this. And also don't be frightened to get where you are now, even if you think, oh my God, if I costed out even my current org chart and really understood how much it costs, I'm not going to be happy. But that's good because you can put a line in the sand and go, well, how can we take this forward to even do that? And I think too, when you do the org chart work, you look at the, what do I have to do to create the kind of income to produce that? I think between the 2 million and the 10 million, you also get to a point where there's a whole lot of people in there who aren't direct revenues. You have to then understand that you're going to dip in profitability before you increase. And that's a dangerous time for any business and what that actually looks like. And do you have the cash reserves for it? And yeah, you kind of go from, I can, I'm building it by my bootstraps to, oh shit, <laughs> where, where do I get this money from? And yeah, so such interesting learnings, I think through all of that, I think there was, I think too, and I loved how you full circled back to, yeah, you've really got to take responsibility for your numbers. And again, none of this stuff is, numbers aren't, I think society itself has told us, particularly as women, that numbers are something to be feared. And they're not. They're there to help us and support us. They're only another tool at the end of the day. And I have grown up with numbers, but you know what? I've had numbers problems and numbers issues just as much as anybody else, just in a different level, but a different style. But yeah. So how I always like to leave my podcasts is just to give, like summarize up what you've already given, or if there's something else that you want to give a tip, you know, just two or three tips to people who are looking at going that next step to taking their businesses either from a million or even a one person business. And they do, they have a burning desire to do that. So what are your tips to, and fast growing to do? Obviously I know the first one. 
Yeah. I mean, the first one's definitely know your numbers yeah. and and try and let go of that shame. If you're not good with numbers, figure out how it works for you. I have no finance background at all. I just figured out like how I could wing it in a way that made sense to me. And that has carried us very far. So how can you lay out the information so that you can understand it? How can you keep it simple and track it in a way that you can easily see what's going on without getting overwhelmed? So that's number one. Number two, that energetic piece of really being mindful and keeping an eye on and checking in with yourself about what's going on with you as a leader. Because if you say you want something, if you say you want a goal, but part of you is holding back and doesn't want it, you're probably going to make a mess. You're probably not going to hit it. Or if you do hit it, it's going to be a lot more drama and, and stress than is really necessary. So looking at that alignment piece, that energetic piece for yourself and then I would say number three is you need to grow as a leader. And a lot of that leadership growth is eating a lot of humble pie. <laughs> like it's really looking at the ways that maybe that you're being selfish or that you have tunnel vision on your own vision and what you want when you actually need to be listening more to what other people want and compromising a little more and trusting that that's not a threat to you getting where you want to be, that you're not going to lose focus or you're not going to kind of, you know, I think contaminate what you're doing or just totally, I think I have the irrational fear of like, if I don't just keep going like, like a dog on a bone, like so aggressive, I'm going to lose my momentum. I'm going to lose my focus and I'm never going to get it. Whereas you have to let people in, you have to get that flexibility in you, not just that dogged determination to actually get to the next level with people who are not just being dragged along towards your vision, <laughs> but are carrying it towards a shared vision. Yeah. And it, yeah, that share a burden. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. Tell us where can people reach out if they're interested. And I would highly recommend anyone who has a podcast who's listening to this to reach out to interview connections. I've had a few people actually, Tracy Bassett and a couple of people on my podcast who I know use you guys and, and talk very fondly of the experience and stuff and you are the best so where do they find you yes if you are an entrepreneur who wants to be a guest on podcasts consistently to grow your brand and get more clients um, you can go to interviewconnections.com slash apply fill out some information and then we'll be in touch with you and send you some info so you can see if it's going to be a fit fantastic and i would also recommend everybody margie has a an amazing podcast out called we get it your dad died it's not very much about what we were talking about but I feel it's one of the most connected podcasts I've listened to in a long time and it covers some really deep brave topics so um I would suggest anyone reach out to that too and to everyone as always please be brave and continue the conversation thank you so much Maggie thank you Sam Thank you so much for your time today. We work super hard on bridging the gap between our expertise and our CEO skills to create more money and time in your everyday to create change. If this sounds like something that you would like to have a further conversation with, jump on blueprinthq.com.au and book a free consultation so we can continue the conversation. As always, be brave.